Welcome back to the Transforming Cities podcast. Each episode highlights ideas around rethinking the way cities are evolving. We discuss planning, design, technology, development, and other fields that contribute to the urban experience. Some people, I think, do a good job of insulating their work from their life, and they kind of have them separate from each other. That's never been like the mentality that I've had. I I feel like I always have work and life kind of in one giant jar that shakes around together. Mm. It was a really fun time, but it never felt like a lot of hard work. On this episode, I'm speaking with Sam Rosen, co-founder and CEO of DeskPass, a membership platform that provides access to hundreds of co-working spaces across the country. Sam also founded One Design Company, a digital branding firm based in Chicago, and also opened The Coop, the first co-working space in Chicago. Formerly trained as a designer, Sam now spends more time at the business end of projects. He prides himself on connecting great people with lovely ideas, all with the goal of making meaningful work and hopefully making the world a better place along the way. A few quick notes before today's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please share this track and others on your social accounts to people you think would be interested. Also, please rate it on iTunes or other platforms where you listen. This is how we grow and it's much appreciated. This podcast is driven by Authentic Form and Function. We're a design and technology studio working on tools and platforms to improve the urban space. You can find out more online at AuthenticFF.com. And finally, we want to hear from you. Email your feedback and ideas of who else we should speak with to podcast at AuthenticFF.com. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Let's jump in. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. So let's uh, let's start out with your roots. You are a Chicago guy through and through. Is that right? That is true. I am a born and bred Chicagoan. I lived in LA for about four months. That's the most I could handle not living in Chicago. But I grew up on the north side of Chicago, and uh, now I, I live in Oak Park because I'm a grown up with my wife and my children. This is what you do now. <laughs> and what was your uh, upbringing like in Chicago? What did your what did your parents get into? So my um, mother is a painter. She's a fine artist. She's an incredible fine artist. She's actually, if anyone watches Grace and Frankie, all of Frankie's art is actually my mom's art. So she is a painter's painter. She's been painting since I was, for as long as I can remember, that's what she does. And my dad, growing up, directed television. So he was producing and making television commercials and pacing up and down our house. And now he he does that and, and also some real estate as well. So you were around creative thinking for your entire life. I really was. And I, I don't think I really appreciated it until recently. But like a lot of the, the mid-century furniture and books on like modernism and you know minimalism are actually books that my mom and dad have had in their house that I grew up with so I I just realized that recently and I'm like that's cool I don't think most kids get that so what is the output of a of a son that has a ad agency father and a and a painter as a mother where did you get your where would you say you got your start as a young entrepreneur well 
you know, my parents were always like very supportive of me. They basically said, you know, you could be anything you want to be. We just, we don't want you to be a, we prefer if you're not a lawyer or a doctor. There's there's a lot of those. So they always like, I think really, you know, were open to creativity and, and just had it around us. Um, I got really interested in kind of the internet and the World Wide Web really, really early on. Um, I actually remember when America Online said, um, Coming soon, the World Wide Web, and that was really my first <laughs> introduction to the web. And I remember asking my cousin, saying, "What is this?" And he tried to explain it to me the best he could. And you know, since that moment, I was always really interested in websites and the kind of the whole mechanics behind it, and tried to reverse engineer it and understand how to make it. And that gave me opportunities to make projects for my parents and my parents' friends and kind of the friends of friends. And at a certain point, I really considered those guys clients. I think it was like three generations out. And and that's really the, the genesis of my experience um, making stuff on the internet. And when you're a kid like that, figuring it out, because I was in a similar situation, I think it's funny to look back and ask yourself, like, does any project specifically stand out in those early days that you're like, oh, you know, I made that, you know, like furniture store website or, you know, kind of the crazy stuff that you do right now. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've been going through this like purge mode and cleaning through like all of these old files and boxes of stuff that I've been ignoring for many years. And a lot of it is just that. And it's stuff like in high school uh, and it's me pitching like paper source, which is a big like now like a national brand, but was just like a few shops based out of Chicago. And again, it was my mom's friend. And I like saw like the whole original pitch proposal. Mm-hmm. So I did their website. That was like the answer one of your you know your question. But I saw the proposal and a couple other proposals that I made from that time. And they were so embarrassing <laughs> and so cringeworthy. And so like, oh, like I remember at one point I said, money, money, money. Who wants to talk about money? No one. <laughs> That's like how I opened the section on like how we're gonna charge for the project. A little, a little so, tongue in cheek, <laughs> a little tongue in cheek proposal writing. Yeah. So I was, you know, there's a lot of kind of old projects for like DJ companies and little stores that I did you know, before I really probably should have. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. That's so good. So, well, so there's a there's a little bit of a gap here. So you are like, you're cranking on websites. You're a young entrepreneur. You end up starting a business around 2005, but we'll get to that in a second. What happened in that time period where you were, it went from tinkering to this could become a, a real business for me? You know, I, it always sort of was a business. At first, a lot of the projects I did were like for school or they were for personal projects. But I think as soon as other people got exposed to the fact that I could do them, because there's just so few people who could, it very early came apparent that it was like a business too. And it was a way to kind of make money and move things forward. Right. And at that time, it was such a specialty too, right? Like it was, it was a new technology. I would argue that our generation, you know, we we didn't grow up with it, but we grew up into it. And then we we were kind of at that age where we we learned it pretty quickly and we ultimately became sort of the, the first generation specialists in it. 
Yeah, no, that's totally right. And, you know, everyone older than me had no freaking idea what this was or how it worked. And everyone younger than me grew up with it. And the ability to be able to kind of thread the in between for these two groups is a huge part of my career, what I still think I do, and what is still something that's like vital to succeed because it's a big difference. If you grew up with this stuff and you didn't, and you can very easily have like a different way of experiencing and looking and learning through the world. So in 2005, you started a company called One Design Company out of your apartment, which is crazy to say because One Design is a really successful firm out of Chicago that has done incredible work. But how did you get that started? What's the story there? It was very gradual. I think it it was really from those types of projects to working for my parents' friends and friends of friends. And then, you know, it just started to make sense to have a business entity to like do all of this out of because I thought that was the professional thing to do. So I had a theater company with my friend Josh called One Theater Company, and I was doing all the design work for that. So the the name came really easily, One Design Company, the very original name. And, um, And it was really just a shell to, you know, allow me to do work. And then kind of what happened really naturally was the demand of that work exceeded the supply. And I was living downtown and, you know, getting connected with really awesome, creative, wonderful people and realized that we could work together and collectively do work together and make money together. And, um, and it, so it all happened like very, very naturally. Yeah. And kind of quickly, quickly thereafter, I, I met Pat Griffin, who is, is one of my partners and is my kind of longest partner. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, and, Going from teenager in the bedroom to young adult in the apartment to I think you had an office in Fulton Market. Is that right? Yeah, right above the Publican, the most delicious restaurant in Chicago, in my <laughs> humble opinion. So, what what was that time period like? I mean, I, I know what it is like in some senses to have the the business getting off the ground and you're you're meeting new people. It's an exciting time and kind of like on the cusp of something bigger. Did you feel that all along? Did you feel like the snowball effect starting? It was really fun. You know, I I always felt like I was in the right place at the right time. Like Fulton Market was so cool. It was the third building, tenant in a building that was like mostly creative people. A lot of like creative opportunities came directly from the building. You know, it's, it's a lot easier in hindsight to look at this and be like really romantic about it and being like, it was the best of times, but it really like, you know, it was just some people I think do a good job of insulating their work from their life and they kind of have them separate from each other. That's never been like the mentality that I've had. I I feel like I always have work and life kind of in one giant jar that shakes around together. Mm. And it felt like that, you know, it was just like I was living and breathing work and this creative environment, hanging out with these awesome people. And it was, it was a really fun time and it didn't feel like it was really hard work, but it never felt like a lot of hard work. It always just felt like 
a cool way to live your life. <laughs> and what I what I really love about your story, Sam, is that there comes a point or right around this time in your in your in your history where co-working and the idea of using space sort of surfaces in a way that you probably didn't even think about it at the time, but in retrospect is really intriguing because you had a girlfriend in in Brooklyn, you were traveling back and forth around this time. There wasn't really anywhere to work. And so you ended up at a specific cafe. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I ended up at this cafe because I thought it was going to be a better work environment. Basically, you know, my business was growing and I had a conference call in my girlfriend at the time's garden apartment that I dropped like five times. That was our biggest client at the agency. And my one of my business partners now said, dude, you got to got to do better. So, you know, what I knew to be better was this little cafe across the street in Brooklyn called the Rabbit Hole and it became really clear that they didn't want me there. The first of all, the internet was much better, the cell phone connection wasn't much better, and then all of a sudden there was a table tent that said you couldn't work there during lunch rush and power stopped working and the internet stopped working and I was like, "Okay, I get the point." And a buddy of mine, a colleague, Noah Bernson, said, you know, have you ever heard of co-working? And I had no idea what that was. It was like almost nine years ago. There happened to be one of the first 250 or so co-working spaces in the world, a couple blocks away. And I walked in and there was a bunch of interesting looking people around a big table and like an art gallery type of space. And a guy looked at me and he said, are you a here for the co-working and I said yes I said awesome welcome you know we have a couple rules you know be respectful don't download any movies or porn and you know be a be a good citizen at the end of the day if you like it uh, put a $20 donation or so in the in the box and I fell in love it, it solved like very pragmatic problem I had around not dropping important phone calls but it also put me in a new environment with really interesting like-minded people in a way that like was really interesting and really cool and nothing I'd ever experienced before. And that started that started something else for you and that kind of a new avenue of of entrepreneurialism. Yeah, we decided to kind of take that concept and see if anyone was doing it in Chicago and and there wasn't. There were a few people that seemed kind of interested in the concept of co-working in Chicago, but there and there were people certainly sharing their space in Chicago, but there was no co-working spaces in Chicago. So my partner Pat and I decided to um, take our extra space and and next to One Design and turn it into the Coop, which was the first co-working space in downtown Chicago. How was that received at the time? Like, was it? Was it sort of like you open the doors and everyone flooded in, or was it a slow burn where over time it, it gained in popularity? So it was a lot different than I feel like an old man when I say this uh, than than it is now, right? There were zero co-working spaces, and there was a list of people interested in co-working. And so when we opened, there were people who immediately came that were looking for something like this. And some of those people were really cool people, like Charles Adler, who's co-founder of Kickstarter, was working out of our space on Kickstarter at the infancy of Kickstarter, right? Our friend Linus was working on 
titles for James Bond. Like there was just like this really interesting environment that kind of filled up pretty organically, not like super rapidly, but with minimal work at the very beginning, which is a lot different than what it is today. Yeah. So this this is actually uh, another pivotal moment for your career in that this idea of using space in a more unique or efficient way really prompted you to start a new endeavor alongside of your other business that was already rolling along, One Design Company. What was this first iteration called and, and what, was the, what was the goal? Yeah, so being a guy who's you know, interested in technology and design, as soon as we started operating a co-working space, we became really interested in the tools and technology around it and just the whole sort of ecosystem of how office space works and how people use it. So first thing that we did was we started building software. Well, first thing we really did was we built a directory of co-working spaces called DeskTime. And it was just a way to find these spaces because at this time there was a wiki that had most of the co-working spaces on them, but there wasn't really a directory that uh, that showed all of these spaces all over the world that were popping up. So we started doing that. And that kind of very quickly pivoted into building software to manage our space, the coop, but also the day-to-day operations of anybody like us who wanted to take some space and operate a co-working space. So we raised some money and we built software to help people solve this problem. And that was a business called DeskTime. DeskTime was the first app to find co-working spaces that, that we're aware of. And it became something that led to, I would say, version 2.0, for lack of a better phrase. What was the transition like from DeskTime to what we now know as DeskPass? Are they the same business or, or are they different businesses entirely? They're, they're different businesses now legally but they're you know the same kind of product that has evolved out of desk time into into this desk pass business and you know i think it really stems from this idea of when we opened the coop there was zero spaces in chicago and about 250 spaces in the world fast forward today that there are a reported you know 175, 200 co-working spaces in greater Chicago alone, and close to 30,000 of these flexible workspaces all over the world, right? Mm. So it's so unbelievably different. It's hard to fathom unless you have been fortunate enough to watch it kind of firsthand like, like we have. And what we kind of quickly understood, not so quickly, it took a long time to figure it out, but is that, you know, the way we can really help and the biggest problem that we see in this space right now is that most people don't know these spaces exist. You know, most people have never been to one or tried it or knows there's an interesting, you know, creative workspace near their house that might be cool. And if we can help find these people and educate them and bring them into this ecosystem of all these wonderful, flexible co-working spaces all over the country and you know, ultimately the world, uh, then we can provide a, a ton of value. Because you know, for me, it was 
easy to open my co-working space. But if you open today, there are good competitors. There are interesting spaces. There, you know, it's it's a much more competitive world. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I imagine, I mean, even on the the technology side of things, I, I feel like it's easy to to gloss over that and kind of when we talk about it aloud, that's a that's a given, right? There's something that's powering this this platform on the web. But what was that challenge like? Building the actual management software on the back end to power uh, a desk pass like platform. You know, a learning experience. Um, I think we can probably both empathize about this given our ex- collective experience and kind of knowing your background. Um, running a services business is extremely hard. Working for clients is is difficult, and you know, having to earn every dollar you make one hour at a time is really hard. Um, and I always had this fantasy while we while I was really focused on one design that building a product in our own app and technology to solve a problem is a much easier thing to do than run a consulting business. Mm. And I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's easier, but it's um, you know, it's got to be as hard, right? Um, it's it's different challenges, it's different problems, it's a different domain. So, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of experience to help other people build their own products. So, mechanically, to like get a concept from idea to something on the internet that people can use is something that I have a lot of experience with. The most challenging part isn't for us was not that. It, the challenging part was getting something that people want to pay for and yeah. buy and use and then getting it in front of them. And once they're using it, making sure they know how to use it. And if they want to leave, encouraging them not to, right? And if they have a problem, understanding how to support them. And you know, it's like when you work out a new exercise or a new group of part of your body and you're like, oh, I didn't even know there were proud muscles here, right? Like, (laughs) I didn't even know this was a thing that I was going to have to worry about. So I don't know if it's easier or harder than a consulting company, but I think the biggest challenges for us has been like, how do we really spend our money wisely to get to a point where we can know if something's working or get to a place where something is working? And that's been a lot of learning. And, and as a business owner at, at this point, two individual businesses, you know, one very client services focused, one product app focused. How did you find yourself splitting your time, especially at first, between one design and desk pass so that you felt like you weren't spreading yourself too thin or that you were, you know, still checking in with your teams? Or, or was that in and of itself a challenge? It is a big challenge. I mean, the only reason it's worked for me is because I have the most awesome team of people that I work with and really great partners in in the things that I, I do. So both with Best Pass and One Design. It's been a long, slow-ish transition, right? So it, it wasn't like one day everything's gonna change. It's been evolutions of change over time. 
you know, I'm not actively involved in One Design's day-to-day business. You know, I, I help however I can, but the you know the business runs and operates and grows and is doing as great as it's doing because of of you know Noah, David, and Pat, my my partners there. So. You know, I, I, as like a, someone who started a business, it's like at the beginning, you want to just like keep the freaking roof up, right? And you feel like you're using all your own energy to keep the roof off, right? And then you meet someone like Pat, my partner, right? And he helps hold the roof up with me and it's easier, right? And then you get some other partners and they're all holding it up. And then you get to the point where you can start stepping away and realizing that, the further you step away, like the higher the roof gets mm. and the better the company does. And it's it's finding great partners and building long-term relationships with them. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And, and I think this is something you alluded to earlier, Sam, but you were talking about sort of this, this uh, I'm going to date myself here, but this field of dreams <laughs> kind of idea of if you build it, they will come. But... I think like many of us know, if you build something on the web, this app, this great idea, that doesn't necessarily mean people are going to come to it. So when it came to DeskPass and building something that people actually want to use, what was that pitch process like? Or what were those communications like with potential partners? Because to some degree, I feel like that does, at least in the beginnings, feel like client services where you're trying to just sell, sell, sell. But what was that time period like with with DeskPass? Yeah, you know, I think what what has worked effectively for us is when we built DeskTime, when we were trying to build space management software, we over-engineered it, right? We we raised some money. It was a lot a lot of money for us, and we hired amazing engineers, and we tried to build a app that's going to scale that looks and works freaking awesome but we couldn't move fast enough to get to the point where we had a product that people actually wanted to pay for and buy so when we started to focus on desk pass we took a very scrappy approach right we tried to build something sort of that didn't scale that well right that we can change more quickly and we knew at some point we're going to have to totally redo but we could get there faster and get feedback faster and iterate faster, right? Yeah. So it was like, it didn't have to be the fanciest. It didn't have to be look the best, even though we wanted to be look great and work great. You know what I mean? Like it, but it, it had to prove the concept. And that was the big change for DeskPass. Like we knew that getting butts in seats was a good idea and collectively this business model, you know, which is we aggregate all of these co-working spaces all over the country and you get one membership that gives you access to all of them. So it's often the least expensive option with the most amount of spaces. So we knew that was like a compelling idea, but we didn't want to spend a lot of money and time to prove it out. Right. So that's been the big difference with desk pass is we've, taken more granular sort of iterative experimental approach that allowed us to know this was working at every step of the way before we started 
to put you know larger investments into it. Quick tangent, I have to ask someone that has grown up around designers, around creativity, doing your own projects as a teenager, how hard was it for you to not focus on the sort of creative perfection of desk pass, letting that go and, you know, focusing on building something that works and that can sell over the, over the pretty picture. Pretty hard, but also like I have like an analytical bent, like I'm I'm analytical enough to be able to look at quantitative information. And I think that was one of the biggest revelations is so much of what we do at DustPass is quantitative. Like, what are the results? Is this Mm. like, you can see what works and what doesn't um, if you're tracking it correctly, right? And one thing that I've learned over and over and over again doing DustPass is my assumptions are wrong (laughs) a lot, (laughs) especially when it has to do with communication and marketing and advertising. When we run experiments to see what ads are going to work the best, what landing pages are going to work the best, I'm almost always wrong about what performs the best. And that's been like a soul searching process, right? Because as a designer, especially as a partner in a design firm that does this for a lot of people, you want to think like, I know what's best. My assumptions are best. You know, like I have good assumption. But, and I think about it, it's like I, the group of people I surround myself, the feedback loop that I get is not indicative or a good indicator of the type of people who are using my product or just like mainstream America. Um, and that's been really humbling. You know, like I've I've had to realize that sometimes the best design is not the prettiest, and sometimes the best design is the bluntest, and sometimes you don't need like nuance; you need a freaking hammer. <laughs> and it, it's been like a a thing I've grappled with because I want to make something that I'm proud of, that's well crafted, that is you know a great experience. But the only way to get there is for people to love it and use it. And so it's this dance and we're still trying to figure it out. But it's like, it's it's been humbling. (laughs) I bet, yeah. With that in mind, let's pivot back to the real estate side of the equation because that's obviously a a huge part of Desk Pass. And, And there's a a figure that you you gave me, and I was I was shocked at this. One of the the big players in the uh, in the CRE industry, JLL, mentioned that we're still at a sub five percent flex office workspace situation. So like co working office centers, amenity incubator uh, type type spots. And by twenty thirty, you told me that they expect that to be upwards of of thirty percent in terms of utilization. How does that landscape impact what you're doing with Desk Pass, and and how do you see that landscape growing? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty unbelievable to believe. It's easier for me to see because I saw this go from one space in Chicago to almost 200. But you know, this is saying that it's going to be five, six times more. So there's going to be a thousand spaces in the next ten years. The only way this works is if 
everyone adopts it, right? Big companies, small companies, freelancers, independent workers. That is going to represent a huge, huge part of the office and a huge part of space. So I fundamentally believe that the way we work is changing and the everyone's relationship to the office is changing. And it doesn't mean your HQ office is going to go away and you're not going to have to go to that office from time to time. But it means that, you know, work is going to become an ecosystem of space and you're going to be able to use space, you know, as you need it based on where you are, what you need for that day, what you're doing. And you can use a network of space, both within your company, other companies, co-working spaces, cafes. And I think that's what this represents. Yeah. And there's this idea too that space is often thought of as being used from nine to five or or six to six. And but then what happens with that empty real estate from you know six PM to six AM as well? And I think that's an interesting aspect of how commercial real estate is evolving too. And probably one of the big shifts among many that you're seeing in this space that I'm assuming is impacting your business or at least things that you themes that you have in mind as your business evolves and how the real estate world functions in general. What do you think about about those thoughts? Yeah. Again, I came into this from design and you know the more that I learned about specifically office space is that inefficiently used, right? Like you said, like just the average desk in a business where someone is sitting at their office desk is used three hours a day, like butt in seat time, right? So 21 hours a day, that seat is empty, right? That is inefficient, right? And that means mm-hmm. if you have 100% of your seats full, you're still only using them like 15% of the time. Um, so there's, and most people are, most people have a lot of empty space. So there's so much inefficiency that's already happening in real estate. Right. And it makes sense if you think about it, like most commercial real estate is driven by brokers and tenant representation and a tenant rep is incentivized right now for you to sign a big, long lease. The more square feet, the longer the time, the more money they make and the more money everyone else makes. And it's creating huge inefficiencies in the way that we use space. And there's economists that say like in a city like Chicago, we already have enough office space for the next 20 years if we just actually use our office space better. Mm. That's one of the things that's so compelling about this space to me. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and I love the fact that you're thinking about space in a non... Let's see if I can say this well, a non-antiquated way, a way that is not thought of as the old guard way, which is, as you said, big contracts, as much square footage as possible. How can we slice that pie in a different way to still make it really efficient and in way, many ways, much more flexible for, for businesses and certainly the, the evolving workforce? Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of like real estate, traditional real estate solution to this is, you know, like a big company saying, we're going to build our own brand of co-working and do this ourselves, right? which like doesn't seem like the solution or we're going to have little brokers instead of focusing on big deals we're going to focus on little deals but like as you and I know <laughs> and and to the kind of point of 
being in the line of the old and the new. Like that's just not the way that we're going to consume things in the future, especially something as big as our space. And I'm not going to consume things five, 10 years at a time. I'm going to consume them one hour at a time, Mm. one day at a time, one month at a time as I need it, as it's efficient to me and makes sense for me. So the idea that like this old way of solving the problem is going to solve this doesn't make sense to me. I think you actually have to think about human beings and how they work and how they use their spend their day and what motivates them, incentivize them to get their butt out of their house or out of the office. And that's, you know, that's where there's real opportunity here. Sam, but before we start to wrap up, let's let's tap into kind of a big question in the co-working industry from operators to facilitators like yourself. And that is options are great, amenities are great, but what if you go to an office space and it and it smells or the internet's really slow? I think that's a really big challenge that you're certainly facing. And I'm curious, how do you manage expectations on that level with a product like DustPass? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, you know, the thing that's cool about our platform is when when people think about co-working, they think about WeWork, they think about Industrious, they think about Regis. And if you look at like WeWork and Regis combined, they have about a thousand spaces in the United States, but there are actually 4,500 other spaces in the United States that are independently owned, regional, that are all in, in small communities, niche communities all over the country. And that is kind of our bread and butter and the types of environments that power desk pets. And, you know, it, it creates something really cool, kind of like Airbnb, where you can get into really interesting spaces and really interesting communities instantly. But it creates a disparity in quality and expectations, right? Some of our spaces are unfreaking believable. They are like four seasons, right? And some of them are sort of chill and hippie and, and much more laid back, right? And what we believe as a software solution and the middleman that helps make this all work is that, you know, we're in the hospitality business, you know, we're in the expectations management business, right? So, you know, what we're trying to do is let you know what you're going to get. And what we found is location tends to trump anything else. So if you have a very specific location, you need to be, maybe it's the courthouse, maybe it's near a library or near a meeting you will often pick a location close to that and be more forgiving on quality. Mm. But it's our job to let you know what you're going to get and what you can expect, right? But then it's customer service. So in a product like ours, you know, we have 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. customer service. So basically, you just call us. (laughs) If you get in and you don't like it, it smells, you can't get in, the internet sucks, it's not what you expected, like... You know, I like to use Grubhub as an example. It's like if you have a bad Grubhub or seamless experience, depending on where in the country you are, you don't call like the restaurant. You call Grubhub and you say, that sucked. And Grubhub goes, well, we're going to call them, we're going to take care of it, and we're going to credit your account. Yeah. And we want to provide that so people know they're going to have reasonable expectations of the environments they're going to get. We're going to make it really easy to get in there and automatically unlock the door through our app and buy things, but if things suck, <laughs> you can talk to us and we'll fix it. And it's a real human that really cares, you know? Sam, what is next 
for desk pass? You know, we're growing um, and part of that is geographically. It's, you know, we want to be in a lot more cities by the end of the year all over the country. And then, you know, a big part of what we're working on is how do we work with large teams, large businesses and large groups? Because to JLL's point in the, the study that they did, you know, if, if real estate office space is really going to be 5% to 30 for flexible space in the next 10 years, it's, it's all about big teams and big groups adopting this. So we're trying to figure out how to help solve that problem for, for the biggest teams and companies so they can take advantage of little awesome indie co-working spaces in rural environments or cool neighborhoods or places that you know you don't get exposed to most of the time. Right. Absolutely. Sam, I really appreciate your your time today. And I, I don't want you to run out without answering one of my favorite questions, which is you have so much experience. You have so many great connections and stories with the work that you do. So tell us, tell the listeners who we should be paying attention to, who's doing groundbreaking or inspiring work that you want to point us towards. You know, I'm a Chicago boy. So I, I tend to like to represent... Um, yeah, some awesome people that I think are doing really interesting things in Chicago. Uh, two of my hometown heroes that are Jim Cadal, who is the founder of Field Notes and has a, a ton of other really awesome projects, but also his wife, Heidi Cadal, who uh, runs Big Delicious Catering, which is a really cool food company that does catering out here. They are you know, I'm a dad, I got two kids at home. Um, so I'm always looking for people who do that good, you know, who can build businesses that are really inspiring on their own terms and sort of live their own life, but also like have a beautiful family, you know, wonderful kids, like doing it all right. And it's not, you know, necessarily about being the biggest or the very, very best but it's kind of about being the best, but also, you know, just having a good life and doing it right. So those guys inspire the the heck out of me. That's fantastic. South side and North side represented, right? Chicago through and through. Yeah, represent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Right now, I want to roll out the red carpet for you. Tell the world what you're up to, where we can find you and your businesses online. Yeah, so I'm Sam Rosen. I have a little website, sammyrosen.com, which links to all this stuff. But my agency, One Design Company, for branding and digital work. And then, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more about coworking or checking out coworking, go to dustpass.com. We got a free trial and you can try an awesome coworking space for free. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And I can personally attest to DustPass. This is not a paid advertisement, but... Uh, the co-working space that I frequent uh, is also a member of DeskPass now. So great platform. Sam, Shout out to Furniture Coworking. Furniture cool Coworking, space. HQ, Denver, Colorado. 100%. Sam, thank you so much again. <laughs> Appreciate your thank time. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you on the podcast. Take care, brother. Thanks. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic Form and Function, the digital design and development team that just might be a perfect fit for your next urban project. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at authenticff.com slash transforming cities, or you can simply subscribe through your favorite apps, including iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for joining us.